Hey everybody, welcome back, Simply Amazing, Tim Ryder from Mesmerized. Back with us after quite uh, a time away is my buddy and my colleague over at Mesmerized, Matthew Brownstein. Matt, welcome back, my man. Tim, good to be back with you, man. How's everything been? Everything is good. We are, we are all in flux right now, but uh, you know, hopefully things will uh, straighten themselves out soon. And we have baseball right around the corner, and of course, that means the hot stove is uh, is up and cooking. It's been a little slower than expected this year, huh? Just a tad bit, right? It's a I would say it's a, a simmering so a simmering stove for sure. Uh, we've had a few few hot days, and then some that were just you know barely there. But you know we're we're now getting closer and closer to uh, spring training and pitchers and catchers, uh, or at least the uh, you know the date that was on the docket. So hopefully, we get to some more movement here. Yeah, I think we'll see it. I think, you know, once once big dominoes fall, the other ones will follow after. And, um, you know, the Mets of all teams are uh, right in the middle of the uh, of the big dominoes. Um, we got a little update on George Springer on Monday, uh, I guess, just regarding what's going on as far as when his decision might come. Uh, John Morosi from MLB Network, I guess, late, late morning ish, <laughs> uh, put out a report that uh, Springer's free agent decision could come this week. Multiple industry sources believe uh, Blue Jays and Mets are two front runners as of today. Um, I mean, it's not exactly breaking news. We kind of figured that um, there hasn't been much, at least public traction. You know, me and Mike Mayer talked about this on the last episode. Um, Springer's markets remained a bit stagnant. Um, his reported preference of playing near his home in Connecticut. Uh, the collective tightening of, of owners' pocketbooks around the league. It, I don't know if it's limited his market or, or limited his suitors or kind of a collection of both, but, uh, you know, it, it looks like it's coming down to the Blue Jays and the Mets. And it, you kind of have to believe that if the Mets want him, the Mets can have him, right? You would have to think so. I mean, you know, obviously with Cohen's, you know, deep pockets now that we, you know, have him in the fold. Uh, you know, you have to think that if the Mets do want Springer, you know, they'll get him. Um, and, you know, obviously the big talk is, you know, the luxury tax and where he fits in into all that. But, you know, they could get creative. You know, I mean, look at what the Yankees did with DJ LeMahieu and, you know, stretching out the years a little bit to lower that uh, AAV uh, to make the luxury tax numbers, you know, work a little bit better in their favor. So, you know, would you would you want to give a six or seven year deal to Springer who's 31? You know, probably not. Um, but, you know, he is a potent bat. He's a right a righty that uh, would you know obviously you know is much needed in the Mets lineup right now to break up some of their lefty bats, uh, and he's you know an above average center fielder which you know makes the team that much better. So he really is just the just a, you know a perfect fit for what they for what they need, and and that's a big need uh, which is center field. And obviously moving Nimmo over to left, uh, you know makes left field better. So I mean it, it is all like there's you know these turn of events that obviously makes the team better as a whole with a, a Springer signing. So. Yeah, it, those are the two teams that I, you know has really have really been reported as as the most uh, you know persistent for for Springer. So you have to think that, and especially too with you know the Blue Jays up in the air of where they're playing uh, in in twenty twenty one. You know, you wonder if some guys are kind of turning down offers from Toronto just you know on that fact alone. Oh sure, I mean, and, and, and a long term deal. I guess it's a it's kind of just a blip on the radar. Like, hey, you know, this might be a bit of an inconvenience this season, but. You know, you look up and down that Toronto roster, and boy, that is a team built for the future. Uh, you add some real pitching there, and I mean, you have stars, young stars. I mean, even like unsung guys like um, like uh, Lourdes Gurriel. Uh, oh, there's another guy out there that I'm really big, big fan of. 
But anyway, I mean, you have Bichette, you have Vlad Guerrero. There was another, uh, Teoscar Hernandez. That's my guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. um, just a, an absolutely talented lineup um, already who would really benefit from Springer's presence there, um, you would have to imagine. But again, like you said, what the Mets, what the Mets need and what the Mets can offer them and doing it in New York and that's not a, you know, that's not really a knock on Toronto, but there's always been that kind of specter of winning in New York. It's, it's, it's a real thing. And, um, you know, you have to presume that that's uh, part of the deal, that that's part of the allure, at least from, from the Mets uh, in their, from their selling vantage point. Absolutely. But, and if, and if Springer also is, you know, um, if Springer, if the reports are true that Springer does want to play close to home and, you know, he grew up in Connecticut, then, you know, Queens is not that far away. So, you know, you think that, you know, that would play as well. Um, of course, you know, he grew, he did grow up a Red Sox fan. So could they possibly be lurking and, you know, want to try to, you know, do something with him? And it's possible, but really the two teams that have really stood out, like you mentioned, it's just the Blue Jays and the Mets. So, you know, it seems like the Mets are, you know, certainly in contention for, for Springer services. Oh, dude, if I leave early in the morning, I can get to, I guess he's from New Britain or right around that area. I can get to like, I can get to like 95, 91 intersection. I can do that in like two hours flat. So yeah, I would say it's a much quicker trip to, uh, from uh, Connecticut to Queens than up to to Toronto. But, uh, you know, I guess Ken Rosenthal, he noted that the Mets, uh, well, industry sources are saying the Mets don't want to pay or are skeptical the Mets would want to pay. Um, Springer 25 to 30 million a year. Uh, again, they have extension, possible extensions, presumable extensions coming up with Conforto and Lindor and, you know, other guys down the line. You have, um, Syndergaard coming up very soon. You have to make a decision on him. But, you know, like you mentioned, actually, I believe like Rosenthal mentioned in his column, uh, you know, stretching it out just like the Yankees did with LeMahieu into an extra year. Sure, yeah, you're committing to a 38, 39-year-old George Springer, but um, a lower AAV certainly makes that a lot more palatable. Um, I think from a, a team-building aspect, um, whether there is or, or there isn't a competitive payroll tax, which we'll get to later in the show, uh, moving down the line, you know, it'll certainly ease the burden if there is some sort of, I don't want to say ceiling, but, um, you know, if there's a threshold of any sort, um, you know, they have to kind of plan for the future. And if Springer's open to a deal like that where he's going to be able to make his, let's say, $20 million over seven years or something to that effect, uh, $20 million per, you know, that would certainly – I think that would be a win-win for everybody. But if Toronto's going to sweep in and say, hey, we'll give you 25 a year, five, um, you know, you have to wonder whether uh, that comes into play on his, on his account. But uh, the Mets certainly have areas, areas of, uh, of need – Center field's one of them, and again, like you said, he fits that that uh, he fits it to a T. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I mean, he really is just the, the you know the prototypical need that uh, that they have still currently, and uh, you know what a way to finish off up the middle. You know, if they were to add Springer, you know, you upgrade with McCann, then obviously you bring in the superstar shortstop in Lindor, and then add Springer to center. I mean, my God, what a what an off season just up the middle alone. Oh my, and that's been such a, a point of uh, of. Well, at least a talking point over the last few off seasons was really strengthening up the defense up the middle. Um, you have such a talented pitching staff, and even now as it's evolved into uh, Degrom, Stroman, Carrasco, no one's going to be back soon. Um, even as it, as it's kind of you know grown a bit and and shifted, 
you know, you still have to rely on that defense. And, and it really feels like the Mets are making an attempt to go that way. But one has to imagine in a world where the Mets still had Jared Kellenick coming up, they would, uh, they, they wouldn't have to kind of, they wouldn't even have to address this. He'd be probably knocking on the door by now, but alas, that's not the case. But over the last, uh, I guess Monday morning, um, we were, I guess baseball America's, uh, top 100 prospects list was released and the Mets have some movers and shakers and even a new, uh, a new addition to the list. Um, so top of the list, we're going to start right from the top, and it's everyone's favorite prospect who, you know, we haven't really seen much about yet. It's Francisco Alvarez. Uh, he moved up to 20, oh, almost 20 spots. He was in the mid-60s in 2019. He's up to number 48. Um, very high-profile signing back in 2018. He took home $2.7 million, which I don't, even, I don't think the Mets spent, uh, dipped into the seven figures once this international signing period, but uh, raked in the Gulf Coast League. Went to Kingsport, where he kept on hitting, uh, 282, 377, 443 in 151 plate appearances. You know, showed a bunch. The Mets have pretty much dubbed him untouchable, and I think the fan base would just burn this place down if uh, if, they, <laughs> if they did get rid of him. But um, what are your earlier returns on Francisco Alvarez? Do you have any, uh, any insight? And he hasn't played much. He's only gotten whew, maybe a total of... 30 games, 40 professional games under his belt. Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, you summed it up nicely there. I mean, he obviously hit, I mean, his, you know, first full season in 2019, um, you know, he obviously was, was phenomenal at such a young age, what was he 17 years old? Um, you know, he's only still only 19 years old. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he, he definitely seems to be, uh, you know, moving in the right direction in terms of, of, of the prospect listing and, 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 you know, certainly seems like, uh, you know, a guy that's going to play down the future for the Mets, um, you know, and, and catchers always a, a, you know, a need of, you know, big need for teams. And especially if you can get a home run guy. Um, yeah. I mean, Alvarez seems to be, a, you know, a real, real good athletic, uh, big build guy that, uh, I think a lot of fans are going to be excited for. And hopefully with the minor league season, you know, um, hopefully we get some kind of semblance of a minor league season this season. Uh, and you know, hopefully it plays out that we can, you know, see what he, what he can do for, you know, a longer period of time. Yeah, no, because the, the hype and excitement level is, is absolutely through the roof right now. And, uh, you know, the way he was developing was extremely uh, encouraging. And, yeah, imagine him with a, even close to a full season and still most likely playing underneath his uh, – or, or playing below the age average of the league. Right. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a very good litmus test for where he stands as a player. And um, I'd love to see him stay behind the plate, which I, from what I hear, that's that's the plan for him. Um, defensively apt catcher, but offensive, of course, is his calling card. Uh, yeah, I'm certainly um, intrigued by him, excited to see where that goes. Ronnie Maurizio, uh, I, I see, I say it like the half Italian I am. I say it with a Z. It's Ronnie Maurizio. <laughs> Ronnie Maurizio, yeah. Okay, uh, he went from 67 to 66 on the rankings this year, kind of just hanging out in the middle. And again, it's tough to kind of get a gauge on everybody uh, with not much baseball being played last season. Um, everyone's hyped up about Mauricio. Everyone's kind of very sold on his potential. Um, he played three and a half years below league average in 2019 with uh, single A. Ooh, I had it right there. Columbia. Yeah. Kingsport. My apologies. And, um, 
and really, uh, it hit well. He held his own. Um, oh, it was Columbia. Gosh darn it. All right. Well, anyway, and he only struck out 99 times over 504 plate appearances, which, you know, playing in a league which, with such advanced pitching um, at such a, a young age, I think he was ooh, 20, he was probably 17 turning 18 at the time. Right. Facing 20-year-old pitchers who have, you know, just disgusting stuff. I only struck out, you know, sub 20%. That's, um, that's something to hang your hat on as a young player, even though the numbers didn't really reflect it. So OPS was like, I think, below seven. But um, that's, that's something to build on, at least in my opinion. Absolutely. I mean, there's definitely room for room for growth and potential there. And like you said, you know, he was 17 going on 18 in that season, uh, you know, playing against much, you know, um, older competition as well. Because like you said, he, his average age difference was, you know, almost four years younger. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. You know, another guy with, you know, a high ceiling, um, you know, shortstop, uh, shortstop plays with, you know, with the glove as well. Um, yeah, I mean, Mauricio certainly is another guy that uh, I think Met fans are going to be uh, watching very closely. Uh, and, you know, it, it definitely for, for Met fans, the, you know, their top prospects are guys that are going to be lower uh, in the, you know, in the minor league rungs. Um, but, you know, these are guys that I think are, are certainly guys that are going to continue to uh, grow player development wise. Uh, they're going to grow into their bodies a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, hopefully, you know, Cohen alluded to also, you know, wanting to spruce up the player development, um, you know, the whole infrastructure of the Mets, not just, you know, the overall payroll, but, you know, looking into better R&D, analytics, player development, nutrition, um, tech. So obviously all that, you know, hiring coaches, I mean, you saw Carter Caps was hired by the Mets as a, um, uh, a rookie pitching coordinator. So, you know, all that plays also into the development of these young guys too. So uh, I think it's only going to benefit them and, and hopefully, you know, like, like he mentioned too, that he wants to see this Mets farm team, uh, farm system really, you know, get back up into the, you know, the upper top five of, of Major League Baseball. So, um, you know, I, I think definitely those two uh, are, are big players for, for, for the future for the Mets. Most definitely. Oh, and, and you know, with Rosario and Jimenez out of the picture now, um, you know, Mauricio's spot on the death chart is, is clearly it's right there. Um, there's not a whole lot of upper minors depth. Um, one would have to imagine he's starting at double A, but it's entirely conceivable. They might just throw him into the fire at triple A. I don't know, but um, I wouldn't be totally against it. But with Lindor, um, you know, let's just say, let's just assume he signs an extension. It's going to be a long-term deal, like in a very, very long-term deal. Um, Mauricio is going to be blocked at shortstop, every, you know, for the foreseeable future in that in that uh in that hypothetical scenario at what point does the untouchable tag come off if you know again if you're planning for the future because again they you know the Mets like we said they don't have a ton of depth in their minor league system but there are some very very talented players I mean the three guys we talked about of course I'm sorry Matthew Allen who was also on the list um he's only had oh I think 10.1 innings of professional ball uh just to refresh everybody, signed $2.5 million in the third round. That was his signing bonus, which was, I think, four times slot value. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, absolutely disgusting curveball, upper 90s fastball, uh, absolutely a stud. He's included in this untouchable, quote-unquote, uh, quote unquote, untouchable list. But, you know, you have JT Ginn, another right-hander, Brett Beatty, third baseman from the 2018-2019 draft. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong from just this past year, um, a center field prospect, 
you know, pretty much in, in the same vein as Jared Kellenic will have to assume, but uh, more woke from what we <laughs> from what we've seen. Uh, you know, these guys, the front office has to be imagining they're going to build around. You hear rumors of guys like Luis Castillo, right-hander from the Reds, out on the market. Um, the Yankees refuse to send him Glaber Torres, which I would do the same thing. I wouldn't send Torres. He's going to be a um, upper echelon star for, for years to come, at least in my opinion. But if the Reds are looking for a shortstop, and clearly Mauricio's not ready for the show yet, but if they're looking for a shortstop and, you know, maybe a little bit of, uh, uh, of money relief, maybe unload a, a Moustakis or something to that effect and, and whatever, you could kind of toss in whoever at that point. Um, you know, would you, for the right player, would you kind of remove that untouchable tag? Would you be willing to throw a Mauricio and a, I don't know, a Gin into a deal, into a big deal? If it, if it makes sense, or does rebuilding the farm system take priority, in your opinion? Um, you know, I think I think certain players, you know, you want to remain untouchable and you want to build around like you alluded to, uh, especially since, you know, Cohen has made it, you know, made it clear that he really wants to build, uh, you know, a strong uh, farm system that's going to, you know, turn out uh, homegrown talent uh, year in and year out. But, you know, I think for the right players and the right moves, uh, and especially if there's a, you know, specific need on the major league roster, I, I, I think, I think you have to take some tags off these guys. Um, you know, and, and like you said with Mauricio, obviously Lindor is here and, you know, he's only, ha- you know, he's only here for a one year deal, but you have to think that they didn't make this move just for Lindor to be here for one year. Um, I really do think that they're going to work out a large, a long-term extension with Lindor. And, you know, he's entering his age 27 season. So, you know, you have to figure he's going to be here for about nine, 10 years, uh, which is going to block, you know, Mauricio at shortstop. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, a player like that, I think you could certainly, um, you know, dangle in deals and see what, you know, the market, you know, is for them. Um, and I think there's certain guys that you want to hold on to. And I think there's certain guys that you want to, you know, hopefully build around and, and, you know, especially if there's clear areas of need uh, for the major league roster, you know, two, three, four, five years down the line, you know, that's you know, another big thing too, with the Mets, you know, organization front office is that they have to, you know, look at it and gauge it from not just this year, but obviously, you know, five years out and see, you know, where their needs are going to be and who's going to be a, you know, a free agent at that point and who needs, you know, extensions and who are they, you know, feel comfortable letting walk. So that's all, you know, obviously where, you know, the minor leagues play, you know, play in and, and who, you know, could be coming through the ranks. So for a guy like Mauricio, who is look like looks like he's going to likely be blocked, um, you know, unless you move him off and, you know, either put him at, you know, second or third. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, you know, for the right move and for a big time pitcher, a star pitcher. Um, yeah. I, I would definitely be open to, to the idea of, of, of dealing him. Yeah. I mean, and for a pitcher like Castillo, who's um, <laughs> he pitches in a bandbox and he still puts up these video game numbers and it, it, it baffles me and he's got nasty stuff. He has back end relief stuff. But as a starter, and you just don't see that. Like, um, I'm trying to find a good comparison, but I really can't. Uh, you know, DeGrom, and I'm not comparing in any way, shape, or form comparing Castillo to DeGrom, but just that level of stuff, that, that heavy, heavy cut, that um, overpowering fastball, you know, to have that in a starting role and make, you know, make hitters deal with that two or three times through the order. And, um, you know, that's... We've seen it. It's demoralizing for, for opposing hitters to have to deal with domination for, for, you know, for seven innings. And then you go out, then you have to face the bullpen. And, you know, it, it puts you at an advantage before you even step on the field, as long as the pitcher has his stuff that night. And that's just, um, 
yeah, that's the that's the type of guy I kind of go ahead. We'll 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 fix the farm system after it. Let's give me give me Castillo with you know two years of uh, of team control and and all that fun stuff. But again, like you were saying, you got to think for the future. What's this guy going to cost down the line if you want to keep him? And is the uh, is the cost in giving up a good, very good prospect in Mauricio or whoever it might take? Is the cost worth it? To, to, to keep him in the fold for a couple of years. And, you know, hindsight's going to tell that. Sure, you might grab a ring over that span. And when you look back, I mean, I'm sure the Cubs say, yeah, sure, it's trading away Eloy Jimenez and, and Gleyber Torres uh, to get a ring. Um, you know, they have to look back and at least have a little bit of credence that, yeah, yeah, we, we did okay on, on that deal, I guess. But uh, you look at him now and say, oh, they could really use Eloy and Glaber in that lineup. But, uh, you know, these are the moves you got to make. It's kind of devil's advocate. Um, and also, you know, and, you know, you brought up obviously Castillo still has a few years of control. And, you know, to that end, um, you know, Marcus Stroman and Noah Syndergaard are free agents after this year. So right. they obviously have decisions to make on the pitching staff. And they, and they really should still, you know, be looking to add another, another pitcher, you know, at least for the back end. So, um, you know, if you think the Mets still need pitching now, you know, wait till next year when, you know, two big guys in the rotation are going to be free agents. So Castillo could solve a lot of, you know, a lot of issues there with, you know, you plug Castillo in with the Grom and Carrasco. Oh my gosh. I mean, that is just, you know, mouthwatering to think about. Oh, that's a front end. And, 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 you know, you can't imagine DeGrom slowing down anytime soon. The guy tacked on like two miles an hour to his fastball over the course of an offseason last year. So um, he doesn't, he's showing like in the most literal sense of the phrase, showing no signs of slowing down. So, yeah, um, it, it would be a move with, with a, a move for the future and a lot of foresight. But, ah, uh, yeah, again, that's that's someone that I would say, yeah, dip into the. Trade, you know, I wouldn't say take whoever you want, but I would certainly dangle some gems in their face and try to plug up the, you know, the back of the deal, the package of the deal with uh, maybe, um, you know, maybe a, high, a highly regarded top 30 guy and then maybe highly regarded, regarded top 50 guy. Right. But uh, you would hope to, to be able to move past that without getting absolutely pleased. But for a player like that, it's, it's possible. But the Mets do have holes this offseason. That's no, that's uh, this offseason still the fill, I should say. That's no surprise. Um, whether it's Springer, whether it's Jackie Bradley Jr., whether it's Albert Almora or whoever it is, um, they're going to need a, a true center fielder. Um, like you just referenced, they're going to need another starting pitcher. Uh, we've heard the rumors swirling around Brad Hand, and if it's not Hand, another left handed relief pitcher is kind of a necessity at this point. Stephen Tarpery, which was a great signing, at least in my opinion. Uh, he, he's just, he's not the type of, uh, cog that kind of, I guess everyone's looking for right now, but, um, yeah, Brad hand kind of would be. <laughs> so you have to assume that, um, again, there's definitely still moves to me comes to payroll, at least just for this season. If you want to go out and get a springer, if you want to go out and get a hand, let's just take those two guys. For instance, it's going to put the Mets over the luxury tax. Um, I think me and you have spoken about this in the past. First-time offenders, it's only a 20% tax. So just easy math. If you go $10 million over, it's a $2 million tax. If you go over two years in a row, I believe it jumps to 30%. And if you go over three or more years, it jumps to 50%. Right. There's additional drafts, uh, I guess, uh, compensation draft penalties and such like and stuff like that. But in your opinion, is this a year that the Mets 
have the ability to go I mean, it's not my money, so I would say sure. <laughs> you know, um, I think a lot of it hinges, though, too, on the fact that, you know, there's a uh, new CBA coming into place next year, and we don't yet know what the luxury tax thresholds are going to be, what the penalties are going to be, if there are going to be penalties, if there's even going to be a luxury tax. You know, there's been a lot of uh, conjecture on that part. So we, I think, you know, a lot of teams are kind of holding course. Um, you know, I, I, I do envision Cohen going over the luxury tax. And I don't think it's like, you know, like, you know, Jared Porter and, and Sandy Olson have said, too. It's not, you know, a line in the sand, um, which is amazing considering, you know, what we've had for the last 20 plus years with the Wilpons. <laughs> but, um, you know, at this point now, I, I do expect I do expect Cohen to spend and I do expect him to go over the luxury tax. How much does he go over the luxury tax? 20, 30, 40 million dollars. You know, obviously, that remains to be seen. You know, you, you mentioned, obviously, the current CBA has. Um, different thresholds with you know different uh, tax tax rate and over, on the overages. Um, obviously, there's also surtaxes. If you spend between twenty to forty million dollars, there's a twelve percent surtax. Uh, if you go over it by forty million, they're taxed at a forty-two and a half percent rate for the first time. Um, and then you also mentioned the um, the draft pick compensation too, where you'd move back ten places if you go over uh, forty million dollars in uh, in overages. So. I don't think it's going to take that much. I mean, listen, if you if you if you're able to sign Hand and you're able to sign Springer, and let's say Springer you can get an, on an AAV of twenty million dollars, right? And let's say Hand you can get for two years at you know sixteen, seventeen. So you know, let's roughly let's say eight million. You know, you're looking at twenty eight million. And uh, looking at Chris Soto, who does a great job with the finances, by the way, guys. If you're not following him yet, do so. I, I was going to say it, it takes a GM and an accountant to get all this shit done, and Christopher Soto is that man. Fantastic. He's my go-to guy with any finance pro- any any finance issues. So definitely follow him on Twitter. <laughs> um, but he's got them. He's got them. The Mets roughly with about 32 million or so wiggle room to play before they hit the uh, 210 million dollar uh, tax. So you know, theoretically, you know, you could add a Springer and a hand, uh, and still have a little bit of money left over before you hit that. And you know, we obviously mentioned that the Mets could still use another starter. So if you can get another kind of low risk back end starter for maybe you know. 10 million or a little less then you're you know you're only talking about as a first time offender paying you know what a million or 2 million dollars in a tax uh in a year where you're seeing a lot of teams selling off um after obviously you know last year with with you know with covid and, and less games being played but you know, the Mets are definitely um you know reaping the benefits and Cohen came on under perfect time with his wealth to really take advantage of it it's just a shame for baseball in general and for fans that are losing you know their star players and not you know having their teams hold on to them but Certainly for the Mets, um, I think this year, you know, if it's for me, I think the Mets should go for it. You know, they've already added, you know, a lot of great players and, and, and addressed a lot of needs. But, you know, it would really just put the cherry on top if they went out and added Springer, added Hand and got, you know, another back end starter. I think, you know, you really could look at that as just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal offseason. Oh, my goodness. I think that would be, uh, you know, putting this team over the top would be an understatement if that would be the case. Um if the if the luxury tax threshold is going to be a a line in the sand, which Mets GM Jared Porter said it wouldn't be a line in the sand, but the front office has alluded to the point that yes, of course we see it, and um, even Cohen said this might not be the time to do it. But again, like we just said, certain situations call for certain measures. Um, I wouldn't be totally against you know theoretically eating a couple of million dollars each on. Batantis and Familia, if if they are movable in a trade, which is probably going to be a, uh, you know, a, a, a mountain to climb in itself, moving one or both of them. But if you were to eat maybe a couple of million on both of them, 
and rely on a Trevor Hildenberger who seems to be forgotten in, in this whole offseason or, or a Robert Gisellman. Um, you know, you're taking away from a little bit of depth. And don't get me wrong, Familia and Patantis are very, very good. But um, inconsistent and maybe not worth what they're being paid, that's arguable. Maybe, 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 maybe. But yeah, I, I think I would um, I would explore that if they do, if they are concerned about going over that luxury tax threshold. I think I would explore making some moves, and um, it really would be limited to those guys because I do think that a Hildenberger, especially under the tutelage of uh, of the current coaching staff, he could really kind of step right in. Um, I love Gazelman's stuff. I kind of always have. I feel like if he's being used properly, he could really be an asset. I still think that Steven Matz, if slipped into a bullpen role with a new mindset and a little bit of confidence behind him, uh, I think he could really still shine. But that's another guy who at you know just over $5 million this season, he could end up being a roster casualty, could not be end up being shipped off, which I believe the Mets and the Blue Jays were talking about a potential match trade earlier in the offseason. Uh, I believe I saw that. I think it was Rosenthal, actually. Um, but yeah, you know, they have decisions to make. They have wiggle room now. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to, you know, moving some pieces around the board and see if they can make a little more room. Part of me wants to believe that they're really, really not close to done and there might be something big. But again, I think this, uh, this front office has done such a nice job of keeping things very, very tight and very, very close to the, close to the chest, however you want to put it. Um, I'm intrigued. I'm certainly intrigued. And the excitement is, uh, is right there next to it. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. And, you know, just kind of a side note, you know, you brought up Robert Gesellman and I was actually looking at uh, some numbers the other day and I was just looking at uh, Baseball Savant, which is just, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal website. You can get lost in hours on it, which I have multiple times. But <laughs> I was looking at um, outs above average and I was looking from the pitcher point of view, you know, I was looking at pitchers that, you know, were, were, were hurt by, you know, certain, def- you know, certain defenders. And when you go back and it, it allows you to go back for at least for OAA to 2017. So from 2017 to 2020, um, the pitcher that was hurt the most by shortstop position, and this kind of coinc- uh, correlates with Lindor now being here, but I think Gesellman's really going to love having Lindor on this team because the pitcher that was hurt the most by shortstop was Robert Gazelman, minus 10 OAA. Um, Zach Wheeler was second, minus nine. Uh, Steven Matz is up there as well, minus seven. So the addition of Lindor, and I get obviously Jimenez was phenomenal last year in, 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 in a short stint, but Lindor is just another level. So I think, you know, I think there are some numbers that, you know, point to Gazelman being, you know, uh, still a, a very, you know, reputable arm uh, in the bullpen. I, you know, he, he showed glimpses of it. So I would definitely be, you know, of the mind to give him, you know, another, another opportunity. Um, I think he still, I believe, has another minor league option as well. So, you know, you could always stash him in the minor leagues as well. Um, you know, I think he, oh, he actually has two minor league options looking at Fangrass right now. So, you know, you have options with him, which is, which is good. And, and he's still young enough where I think he could really still, you know, piece it together. And like you said, with the coaching staff, or with, you know, with the development and, and organizationally, you know, putting more into player development. Um, you know, I think he's someone that, that could be uh, a bounce back candidate and, um, you know, I think your idea of looking to try to, you know, sell off a familiar Batances, you know, and, and trying to, you know, add, maybe add a piece to entice a team and, and to save a little bit of money on the, um, the luxury tax. So that way you can go out and, you know, not be too much over it for 2021, I, I think is a, a smarter way of going about it. And uh, I'm sure the Mets would, you know, look into all kind of avenues. But uh, yeah, I think that that might be one, one way to kind of go about that for sure. Well, you know, it's, I, I get it. It subtracts from the depth and, um, 
like I was saying, you know, when those guys are at their best, they're still, you know, highly valuable assets or well, moderately valuable assets. But, um, yeah, I mean, having too many good players has never been a problem for any professional sports team ever in history. So you have to be careful, I guess, draining for drawing away from, from that talent pool, especially at the major league level or at every level, but you know, specifically in your bullpen, because you know, we've all seen what a decimated bullpen can do to a, a team's contention chances. But you know, they, I guess bottom line, the Mets have so many, not so many, but they have holes to fill. They have decisions to make still. Um, as far as how they're going to make, how they're going to fill these holes and how they're going to fill the team and if they're going over the threshold, just, um, and for the first time in a long time, just, it's, I'm totally confident that these decisions are being made by the right people. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a good feeling. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh no. And it's, you know, this is a, a start of a new era for, you know, for the Mets and, and for their fans. So I think, you know, we're all, we're all just very excited to watch and, I mean, for his first off season, I mean, my God, what a, you know, what an opening, what an opening act by Steve Cohen. So, you know, he really has done and said all the right things so far. And, you know, of course, there's going to be like any organization bumps in the road. But, you know, you can tell this guy is just first and foremost a fan uh, and has been his whole life and, um, you know, was a minority owner uh, under the Wolpon. So I'm sure he's seen and heard some of the, you know, bad times and, and, you know, wants to change that culture. And I think that's the biggest thing too, is just the culture change. Um, and, and we've seen that now there's just a, a building excitement with Met fans, um, and just so many possibilities. Uh, and I think that in itself is, is a huge win. Yeah. Oh, and you know, again, this is just the start. That's the best part of this. This is just the beginning. It's, um, it, it, it still doesn't quite feel real. You know, maybe once, uh, Steve Cohen spraying down a section of fans with champagne after the Mets clinched their first World Series title since 86. Maybe they don't feel real, but until then, you know, or until, I shouldn't say until then, but at, at this point, it still just doesn't feel real. Cautiously optimistic. <laughs> Cautiously optimistic. I'm, you know, irrationally optimistic. That's just my thing. <laughs> Matt, what you got cooking over at, uh, over at Mets Rise? Anything on the, uh, on the agenda? You got any interviews popping up soon? Nothing, nothing yet. It's been quiet, unfortunately. Um, reaching out to a few people, but uh, nothing that I can concretely say is, is in the works. But, um, you know, I'll be bothering enough players to try to get something, something in the works sooner, sooner rather than later. So uh, right now it's all quiet, but uh, definitely be on the lookout. It's, you know, it's, it's wild times. I think, um, I think you have, you have a, a solid out there, but uh, your consistency and the quality of these interviews, man, they're just so good. Like every one of them, you, you go absolutely, uh, in, in depth, deep dive, however, however you want to characterize it. It's, uh, it's really impressive. It's almost like you're getting to know, you ask the same questions that as a reader, I would want to ask myself. Like I would want to know the answers to every question that you're answering, that you're asking. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a bright spot when they do pop up on my timeline. So everyone follow Matt on Twitter, Matt, where can everybody find you by the way? Oh, first of all, thank you so much. That was very, very nice of you, Tim. Um, my, <laughs> checks in the mail. My Twitter <laughs> handle is uh, mbrownstein89 on Twitter. So, yeah, uh, you can find me there and I'll be tweeting out crazy stats and analytics and, you know, who knows what. So, but hopefully, hopefully an interview will pop up, you know, one or two down the line. But, uh, yeah, I've been really, really uh, enjoying reading your stuff, Tim. You, you, you know, if you, everybody out there listening, Tim puts out some quality, quality content. He's always putting stuff out on Metsmerize, so uh, and he's got great analysis. So please, please check him out as well. He's been phenomenal. Ah, oh, thank you, sir. 
But uh, yeah, you know where to find me, guys. And of course, you know where to find the show. Um, like, subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. Tell your friends, tell your relatives. Uh, yeah, you know, um, let's go Mets. Is that really, that's, that's all we can say at this point. Let's go Mets. So uh, we'll see you next time, Matt. Thank you again for coming on. My pleasure. Anytime, Tim. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next time. And uh, yeah, we are out. Yeah.